listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Web Radio.com. It's been another busy week in America and the rest of the world. And David, I got to tell you, earlier today I was at the gym. And uh, the gym I go to is in Decatur, so you can imagine they don't have Fox News or anything cool like that on. Uh, they do have CNN, uh, home of the fake news. And I almost lost it. I thought I woke up in bizarro world today. CNN actually played two negative Democrat stories in a row. The first one was the uh, Harvey Weinstein uh, scandal. Uh, they played that. for, And that show, that story was like three to five minutes long. And then the next one was a negative story about Hillary Clinton. And apparently Bill and her aren't talking. And uh, they Bill wrote copious notes about her book and how she should change it. And this was two in a row. And then it was a commercial. They didn't even follow up with a negative Trump. I was shocked. Hillary, Hillary finally came out about Harvey. And she said, oh, my goodness. I had no idea. I do declare, I had no idea Mr. Weinstein was was such a bore to women. Now, the other (laughs) side of it, did you happen to be watching Fox? And friends this morning when they had Ivanka on? I, you know, I, I saw, I guess, wherever it was yesterday when she went on. And my God, somebody needs to help her with her, either her makeup or whatever she has stuck in her I face. Because she, she looks like, little, little. there's, yeah, there's some, and I saw her say something like, she doesn't want to call the White House because Melania might get jealous. And I'm thinking, honey, I, Melania ain't going to get jealous. I respect no. if she really wants to say that. But honey, Melania is not jealous of you, okay? No, I won't. I, she was. Uh, she came across. I don't did know she come across person. okay? I, yes, she okay. did. She very, very much so. And, uh, Good. They said, well, do you feel like you should be the first thing? No, no, I don't want any part of it. Yeah. yeah she's very good. Yeah, I heard I heard they didn't get any, like, one-liners out of her that they were going for, yeah, right? No, she, okay. uh, she was, you know, and you got to re- respect her. She's got classy kids, and she did a good job. She had sole custody, and yet, even though she had sole custody, she would take the kids by to see Donald before they went to school, and mm-hmm. then after she picked yeah. them up from school. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, it's one of these, uh, how can you throw rocks until you've walked a mile in their shoes? Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I would like to... I, I've. I pinned everything on you that should make me a multi-billionaire, and that hadn't worked out. So I really don't anticipate becoming a billionaire and finding out what it's like to to walk in those shoes. But you know, did he make he, him? Did he, she make him more sympathetic? I guess. Yeah, you know, and, and I guess humanize my point him a little be, bit. Being is that you know he could be a a real jerk, and I I think he's fairly down to earth. You know. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, you know, tr- the the best example of of Trump not being this evil, um, you know, Hitler Junior that the left wants to uh, paint him as, is the fact that his kids have turned out very well. Um, they like to make fun of Donald Trump Junior. Sometimes he goes on Twitter and looks like he may be being investigated a little bit, but um, he. he uh, the daughter is doing amazing. But uh, we're going to go ahead and get our first guest on the show today. Sam Burnham is calling in. I'll go ahead and preface the uh, uh, the story a little bit. I uh, Over the weekend, I saw an article that had come out um, 
on Railway Age, which I thought was pretty cool. It's dated October 2nd, 2017. Uh, Sam, man, uh, it's good to have you back on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Cool, man. Well, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of prefacing this story. It's one of these things where it was kind of a quiet Monday morning at the Williams office, and I saw this story, and uh, basically the Trump administration has approved the uh, the Chattanooga-Atlanta corridor for uh, HSR, high-speed high speed rail or high-speed ground transportation. And I, I've been to Chattanooga several times, and I'm thinking to myself, I would totally use this. Um, it says that... Uh, if finished, the plans would make it uh, to be able to get from the Atlanta airport to downtown Chattanooga in 88 minutes with six stops along the way. And, you know, I'm thinking, hell, I would use this thing. Now, obviously, the cost uh, benefit analysis needs to be done on this, but I just kind of threw this out there to see uh, what kind of interest. And it really it spawned a ton of commentary on it and uh, really neat to see some of the kind of the NIMBY people that don't want anything to do with transit versus some of my friends that live up that corridor. And I know you're up in uh, the Rome kind of Cedartown area, which would be kind of impacted by this. I didn't see the exact route. I believe it kind of goes to Calhoun, then Dalton, then to Ringold, but it certainly would go to Kennesaw and probably have a stop at the Brave Stadium. I think it. I think it's pretty fascinating to look at. Now, again, we have no idea how much it would cost. Somebody told me it was $100 million a mile, which would put this 120-mile thing at uh, a very, very prohibitive cost. But uh, what were you thinking? I know you were kind of reading some of the comments from my uh, my readers on, on the Facebook page. But what was your uh, initial instinct, Sam? Well, looking at it, at it just you know, the, what you posted there, showing where the stations would be and whatnot, I believe the closest station to me was in Cartersville. Which would probably take okay. uh, probably a half an hour. Sam, can you speak? Can you speak up a little bit? We got a little bit of a tinny reception here. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. I, uh, looking at a, at a railway station, the closest to me looks like it would be in Cartersville, which is probably a half hour to forty minute drive. And you know, thinking about that being somewhere in the middle of that eighty eight minute commute time on the on the rail system. You're looking at probably 45 minutes either direction. Uh, by the time you've done that, you probably could have driven it. By the time you're right. there, you get out, you go in, you get your ticket, whatever you got to do. You wait on a train to arrive, you catch the train. And then once you get there, you're sort of at the mercy of a ride-hailing service or whatever public transit is available there at the time right. or a rental car. True. Or now, uh, now let's think about the. But let's think about this the other way. What about uh, when you go to the airport? What do you normally do? Now, as far as going to the airport, uh, that that could be helpful, especially at the right time of day when you're trying to get <laughs> from this side of Atlanta to that side of Atlanta, and meaning you go through Atlanta or uh, the old back way through Dallas, which after they've added. Yeah, yeah, and you know, one of the things I wanted to, I guess, bring up here when I when I posted this, I was just thinking about me personally. I I don't think you can beat Chattanooga for a like a weekend getaway for a ninety you know ninety mile to a hundred mile away from Atlanta because Savannah's a little bit farther than that. Uh, Making, I mean, it almost it, maybe Asheville from Atlanta. Maybe Asheville. I think Asheville is about three hours. So I think Ch- Chattanooga is easy. And, and here, here's what I'm, I'm thinking. 
I, I actually don't want to have my car when I get to a weekend destination. Um, and, and the reason I don't want it is so I can uh, enjoy um, uh, drinking, basically, and not having the responsibility to have to drive the car around. Because let's say you do take your car and you end up going out in Chattanooga that night. You're either leaving your car around or you're taking Uber or Lyft or a traditional taxi cab. So, you know, unless you're planning on just driving everywhere and camping, I think the true freedom is not having to have your car on a short getaway like this. And I can see where you were would come from on that. And, and trust me, you know I'm halfway between Atlanta and Chattanooga, so you know each one is just as convenient to me at the present time. Chattanooga is a fabulous destination. I would recommend it to anyone. Absolutely. For I mean a, a myriad of different activities and entertainment options. Um. And I can see where, you know, you, it, it's going to be a preference thing. If you'd rather not have your car there, then this train is going to be a great option. And especially, I know a lot of people in Atlanta now, Atlanta, especially the city proper, is beginning to develop, with, especially among millennials. that don't have cars, that don't use cars, that don't want cars. Right. And uh, this, this is a good option to get someone to, uh, to a place like, like Chattanooga. Um you know, one of the questions I ask, 88 minutes for 120 miles, uh, you're saving 30 minutes probably on a drive, uh, on normal traffic, obviously. But uh, if, if you have a snare up somewhere, then it's going to take a little bit longer. Uh, yeah, and, and, I think, and I think we have to get away from just saying, could I get there faster in a car? Yeah, you probably could get there faster in a car, especially where you are, right, kind of in between the two, and the ba- and it takes right. you 45 minutes just to get there. Uh, t- to me, uh, you know, the car is starting to lose its uh, its status as a vanity symbol. Uh, I think you kind of alluded to that with the millennials. I know a lot of uh, people, a lot of parents in the suburbs, that they would rather give their kids an Uber or Lyft account for, you know, give them like two or three hundred dollars a month on it. Rather than buy them a car, remember the old days, you're 16, you would beg your parents to give you two grand to buy a crappy car. Or if you were really rich, they would buy you a brand new one so you could keep up with all the cool kids. That, right. that dynamic is disappearing. Uh, a, because I think that uh, kids just, they don't really have that yearning sensation to drive because, you know, frankly, traffic's really bad. And B, the addiction to our devices. I believe the addiction to our smartphones and our uh, tablets and our laptops, I believe that is starting to overwhelm the uh, functionality of a car as a vanity symbol. Now, there's always going to be folks that, that want to have their car, they want to have the freedom that, that a car allows, but I think the, I think the numbers are going to start dwindling on that in the, in the future. Well, in that... I think is a is a very good point. Um, another option that the pro train group could go for is get me on the train. All right, give me a bar, give me music, give me entertainment, give me some sort of draw that makes it worth my while to get on the train. Right. Make the train itself as enjoyable as where I'm going. Yeah, I think these high-speed tra- – I was on a high-speed train. We went to Rome last year, and we took the uh, high-speed train to uh, 
to Naples. And I didn't realize how fast. Now, this train, the Atlanta to Chattanooga, wouldn't be going this fast. But I was looking up at the uh, at how fast. I was looking outside first, and I told my wife, I said, man, we're, we're probably going 120, 130 miles an hour. And I look up, and I see the uh, it's in kilometers, but it's like 290 kilometers an hour. I was like, my God, we're going 220 miles an hour. I mean, we were just hauling. And, uh, you know, it was everybody in Europe uses it. Now, do we have to copy everything Europe does? No, but, you know, I, it's one of these things where if you build it, will people ride it? I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be worth the investment. But I do think that with the six stops along the way, which I'm guessing Kennesaw State would be one, the Brave Stadium would be one, I, I just see a lot of p- traffic on that 75 corridor being able to kind of go up and down the major hotspots. I actually do see a, a decent future for this route, whether it's worth the cost, whether we'll have self-driving cars or self-flying cars by the time it's completed. That's the dilemma that we kind of have to look at. Right. We've been hearing about this train <laughs> on the 75 corridor since I was a little kid. I mean, you know, oh, we're finally getting it approved. Oh, we're finally getting it approved. <laughs> let's see if it makes it work, and let's see if they make it not just be the Atlanta streetcar that costs a whole lot more money. Exactly. All right, Sam Burnham, all the biscuits in Georgia. I appreciate you always listening on uh, Friday. Are you going to come back down to Atlanta and be on uh, on Second Thought anytime soon? I'm hoping to really soon. Okay. Well, you got to fill out that form on Mondays. Otherwise, they don't approve your application. That's it. <laughs> All right, Sam Burnham, thanks for calling in. And if you have questions or comments, feel free to message me or tweet at me at Gregslist Live. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. 
Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's WebRadio.com. Just wrapped up a interesting train conversation, transportation with Sam Burnham, a friend whose uh, blog is All the Biscuits in Georgia. We're going to uh, switch subjects here a little bit. October, as many of you know, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and uh, I'm sure... Um, if you ask anybody, they'll know somebody that either directly was impacted by cancer or a relative or a friend that was directly uh, impacted by it. And I um, uh, have a fraternity brother whose wife was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, fairly recently, and her story has been uh, really compelling to me. It's really caught my attention. She's um, a University of Georgia graduate, uh, as am I, also a, a graduate of the Grady College of Mass Communication, so I automatically had a little bit of a... Uh, a soft spot for um, for, for that uh, thing to have in common, and um, just a very courageous woman who's been willing to share her story as kind of a an inspiration. So I wanted to welcome Jessica Bonner to the show today. Jessica, welcome to Greg's List. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. I uh, appreciate you being able to do this. I remember, you know, I kind of asked about uh, when you'd be able to come on a couple months ago, and now that you've made such uh, significant progress between kind of the initial uh, diagnosis, uh, I think you thought it was a good time to come on, and, and we can kind of hear hear from you and, and, and your story. Yes, yes. It is a wonderful month to come on, especially since it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It almost feels like it's been a roller coaster though the last couple of months. I was actually diagnosed in June, and I'm 35 years old, so I'm young to be diagnosed with breast cancer. And my story actually began five years before, and I, as I was telling you, Greg, I had a suspicious lump five years ago. Mm-hmm. So went into the doctor. It's so important for women to do those self-checks. Went into the doctor, they did a mammogram, actually ended up finding out that it was a benign cyst, so it was not cancerous, but because of that, I was on a yearly screening track. Normally, women don't start their mammograms until they're 40, unless they have a family history of breast cancer, but I was on a screening track early. I did not have a family history of breast cancer, but thank goodness I was on that screening path because Mm -hmm. this year when I went in for my yearly mammogram, they noticed some calcifications, and those calcifications, they just kind of sent up a red flag, and so they did a biopsy, and sure enough, it came back, and I had breast cancer. My God. And I believe you said it was like a millimeter. The tumor was a millimeter and, and, you know, very very tiny, but starting to kind of emerge into one of the ducts, which would have been a, a bad sign? Well, it actually started in the duct, 
and it wasn't still confined to the duct. One millimeter um, had become invasive, so okay. one millimeter was outside the duct, and um, that's when you really start to get concerned. And so we found it really at the earliest possible time that we could have. But a year prior, my mammogram was fine. I didn't have anything of concern. So it's just really, really important that women don't wait. Yeah, and you had told me that there was a genetic test, and though it wasn't in your family, uh, you didn't have a family history of it, that apparently that it might have been hereditary from your dad, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, so because I was so young when I was diagnosed, my doctor, he said, you know, let's just go ahead and do the genetic test to see if you are positive for a mutation in the breast cancer gene. So there's, it's called BRCA, so BRCA1 and BRCA2. And if you have a gene mutation in that, then you're more susceptible to breast cancer. And because of my age, that's why we did it. And of course, my mom, my grandmothers, none of them had breast cancer. But it came back and I did have a BRCA2 mutation. And so that is what put me at an increased risk of breast cancer, especially at a young age. And it can come from your dad's side of the family as well. So it doesn't just present in your mom's side. It can also come from your dad's side, and that's where they believe mine came from. Right. So these genetic tests, um, do you think maybe that's a first step rather than doing the mammograms? How expensive is that? I'm sure I know you probably had insurance, but, like, is this something that perhaps we should look at as a society to help cover? I don't know. I mean, this, these things could cost thousands of dollars, or they could be like the 23andMe chromosome and cost $79 just spit in a tube. Um. Right. It really <laughs> depends because there are a lot of factors in that. Okay. Um, for one, if you find out that you are a carrier, then you have some choices that you have to make. And so you really need to realize, you know, am I ready to find this out? Because if you're a carrier of the gene mutation, then you may need to have your ovaries removed because it puts you at an increased risk of ovarian cancer, Mm. um, a bilateral mastectomy, and some people do that preventatively. So some people aren't ready to make those decisions, and so they don't want to have that genetic test done. Gotcha. And also there are certain criteria that you have to meet for insurance to even pay for that genetic test. And what's interesting is I would have never even known to have this done had I not been diagnosed because... I didn't really present with any of those typical guidelines. Gotcha. So it's kind of up in the air. It's one of those where if you have a history of it, I think it's kind of a no-brainer probably. But if it's on your father's side, male breast cancer, it's possible for it to happen, but it's very rare, right? Um, Yes, it is rare. Now, that BRCA2 gene mutation also carries with it an increased risk of prostate cancer in men. Okay, so, so that's, that's basically not, it's not a good thing to have this marker, is what you're saying. It is not a good thing to have the <laughs> marker, no, it, it's not. But a lot of people like to know uh, because knowledge is power, so. Yeah, I guess when you were saying, well, some people just aren't ready to know yet, it's kind of like, well, you know, should I wait for something to happen? Or I can understand in women, if you want to go ahead and have children, um, right. you know, that's certainly a factor to, uh, to consider, right? Yes, I mean, it is. And I've talked with a lot of women actually since being diagnosed and other women saying, you know, I had the gene mutation as well. And some of them actually did a mastectomy before they even had breast cancer just as a preventative measure. But all of those women, their mothers had had breast cancer as well. So it was kind of rampant in their family. So mine was just really kind of a unique 
situation that we would have never even thought that I carried that genetic mutation. Right. So it's almost lucky. I hate to use that word, but uh, lucky that you were able to find it. And I can trace it all the way back to what happened five years ago. And even though that was completely benign and nothing to worry about and not even related to what's going on with me now, it was really just such a blessing because it put me on that path of having mammograms. Yep. Now, one of the um, real interesting things about what you do as your professional job is you were the morning anchor for Channel 7 down in Panama City. And uh, I can imagine that, um, you know, that was probably big news to to your viewers down there. And um, it just I'm I'm imagining a community like Panama City was able to kind of come together behind you in support. Yes, yes. And I'll tell you, I told my husband when we found out, just the day that we found out, I you know, of course, you, you're going to cry and you're going to be upset. But I said, you know what? If I have to endure this to save another woman, then I can do this because I want to use this as a platform to bring awareness and to help other people. And so I said, I'm going to share my story. And station management, they were so kind to me. And they said, you know, don't feel like you have to share. It's completely what you're comfortable with. And I said, no, I know that I am called to share this story. And so I decided to let my viewers know and really just followed along with my journey. And what's amazing is that you see so many other survivors and people thanking you and even people who've had family members that have gone through breast cancer. And I think that there's something comforting to know that others have gone before you. And the community really did rally. I received such sweet gifts and just prayers so many prayers and I think that all of those prayers helped me to recover from my surgery fast and I was actually back on the anchor desk two and a half weeks after my bilateral mastectomy that's amazing which was so, and so wonderful you... and amazing and they were like wait a minute I thought you were having surgery and so it was a really fast recovery. <laughs> so, of course, I did have to have a second surgery for the reconstruction. I was going to say, we'll uh, kind of jump into that here on the other side of the break. But before that, what? Um, so you go to the doctor and you get the diagnosis. Um, you know, How do you tell your family or what do you tell them? Well, my husband was with me. <laughs> okay. And I knew that I didn't want to be alone when I went because, you know, I had the biopsy. So you knew, like, either I'm going to get some great news mm. that everything's benign or... I'm going to get news that's going to change my life. And so I wanted to have my husband with me, and so we were in there together. Okay. And the first thing that I said to the doctor when he gave me the news is I said, I've got to be here for my daughter. I have a four-year-old daughter. And the doctor looked at me, and he said, we caught this early. You're going to be there for your daughter. <laughs> yeah, the survival rate, uh, catching it as early as you did, has got to be in the 90s or higher, right? It is. It is. That's great. Um, a wonderful survival rate in Honestly, breast cancer survival rates are increasing, so which is a, a wonderful thing that we're seeing so many survivors, and I do credit that to early detection and I was going to say, screening. that's got to be because of technology, more awareness, mm-hmm. you know, more research, more, more science uh, going into the, uh, the problem, because I believe you told me that uh, breast cancer normally manifests in women over 40. That's why they don't really stay that you need to have the annual mammograms until the age of 40. So, Right, right. So that's the current recommendation. Of course, if you have a family history, that kind of changes things. Uh, so you would want to start those mammograms earlier. But the current recommendation is 40 because you don't typically see it in younger women, of course, 
that doesn't exclude younger women. And I actually have a couple of friends that are around my age who have also been diagnosed. Yeah, we're seeing it uh, really hit uh, younger people a lot. I think just maybe because social media allows more people to see this. I mean, the statistics probably right. haven't changed that much over the years. It's just our awareness uh, has. But uh, Jessica Foster Bonner, Jessica Foster, is, I think she's known down in Panama City as the morning yes. anchor for WJHG. You took your uh, husband's name, but you kept your uh, your, your brand name, right? <laughs> I did, I did, yeah, yes. Well, I can't blame you for that. Well, go. Let's go ahead and take our first break here. We'll be back. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the uh, the surgeries and the recovery and and how that's going for you. We'll be back on the other side of the break. You are listening to Greg's List. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from four to five p.m. for the show Our Constitution on America's Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's This Live, the home of serious journalism. We've got a very serious topic today. In fact, we've had a couple. We were talking about transportation early on with Sam Burnham, all the biscuits in Georgia. Uh, they want to uh, approve a high-speed rail and build one from Atlanta to Chattanooga. I think I'd rather have one from Atlanta to Panama City. That way we could go watch Jessica Foster on the morning news. Jessica's our uh, guest right now. We're talking breast cancer awareness. Jessica's been the uh, morning anchor for News Channel 7 down in uh, Panama City, that's WJHG, and um, fellow UGA uh, journalism bulldog like I am, and we're talking about her story here where she was diagnosed with breast cancer in June, and you had to, you went all the way with this, you went to the extreme surgeries, so go ahead and talk a little bit about that and that recovery and, and how you went to, came to that decision, Jessica. Yes, so what they're doing with breast cancer now is the treatment option is really tailored to the patient and also the tumor and the tumor markers. Well, I had the genetic mutation for the breast cancer gene, and so that put me at a higher risk, and so I did decide to do the bilateral mastectomy. So the other options, you can do a lumpectomy with radiation, but I chose to go all the way with the bilateral mastectomy because my 
risk of having breast cancer in the other breasts was increased because of the genetic mutation as well. So you basically had already manifested once, and this is something that I think is is a perpetual problem. Basically, if you have the marker for it, every year is going to be a crapshoot as to whether something else is uh, manifested, correct? Exactly. So instead of worrying about that and just always having that constant stress and having to go through it again, I decided to go with the bilateral mastectomy, which you know, is a, a tough decision, especially for women. I mean, you're removing body parts. So the main thing, though, is that they can do so much now with reconstruction. And I was able to actually wake up, and I had expanders in, tissue expanders. Mm-hmm. So you wake up, and you're not completely flat-chested. So they were able to do the mastectomy immediately put in the expanders, which were filled some. So you did kind of feel like you were still a whole person when you woke up. And then they they fill those expanders, and then they do an exchange surgery where you put your permanent implants in, and then your reconstruction is complete. Wow. I mean, it's uh, the miracle of modern science. And uh, I guess this um, the double mastectomy years ago, they didn't have the... The reconstruction, so it was uh, very, and it's still traumatic. God, I can't imagine having to, to wake up and not be able to lift your arms up above your head. I mean, that must have been just excruciating uh, recovery time. But you said you were back on the desk in two and a half weeks, huh? Yes, I was back at work two and a half weeks. And, of course, I was still a little sore. But <laughs> it it was a difficult surgery. I'm not going to lie. The recovery was not completely easy. When you come home, you actually have drain tubes because you have to drain the fluid off and any breast cancer survivor who's gone through that will tell you the drain tubes are the worst part of the surgery Mm. and once you can get those removed you're so much better so the drain tubes are basically open and it um allows the uh the the pus to drain correct the um and to make sure it doesn't is it so it just it allows the fluid to drain off so that you don't get swelling and get an infection. Okay. Yeah, I was about so to say, I guess infection. It drains into a little bulb. Yeah, I was about to say the infection is probably one of the biggest post-op risks, correct? Yes, that is one of the main things that you worry about. But I was so blessed and did not have any infection and really just had a smooth recovery. So you guys have a beautiful daughter. How how do you um, tell her what's going on? I guess you, you probably don't go into full detail. I, I think you said you had a boo-boo or, or you, you said it in a little bit uh, childlike manner to her, right? Yes. So she's four years old, and she loves watching cartoons, and she loves Doc McStuffin. And so Doc <laughs> McStuffin, you know, Doc is a doctor on there, and she's a doctor to her stuffed animals. And so... <laughs> We told her in those terms, like, Mommy has a boo-boo, and I'm going to have to go get it fixed, just like Doc McStuffins does. And so she really understood that. And when you come home from the surgery, you have to pile up a bunch of pillows because you just can't get comfortable and you can't lay flat. And it was so sweet because she would bring little pillows over to me. And so we just, we tried not to hide it, but Mm -hmm. we also tried to explain it in a way that she could understand and so that it wouldn't be scary for her. Yeah, because that, I got to say, when, you know, to be three, three years, four years old and, and, you know, hear that your mom is sick, that's got to be very stressful on a child. But it sounds like y'all were able to handle it in a way that she was, you know, comfortable with and able to to understand it. And it's uh, Doc, Doc. McStuffins, is that right? 
Yes, okay. yes, Doc McStuffins. Was he was he around when we were younger? I'm a few no, years older than okay. No. I was going to say I don't, either either, either I have a real bad memory or or my parents didn't show me Doc McStuffins or he's new. So uh, sounds like he's yes, new. it's a new cartoon. You <laughs> were, let's just say that. Okay, good because I I remember Mr. Rogers. Also, <laughs> so. We also love to laugh in our household, and even during really difficult times, we always try to still look at the blessings and still laugh and just carry on life as normal. Yeah, and you said your husband was a real, a real, a real rock during this. Uh, I can imagine uh, knowing him for as long as I have that he'd, he'd be the perfect uh, support for this. But uh, that's got to be got to be equally important to have a great uh, network uh, at home um, to to help you with the day to day chores on this thing. Yes, he has done such a wonderful job, just taking care of me when I came home from my surgery and also taking care of our daughter because you you can't lift and so I can't do things that I normally would do and so he's just been right there with me but one of the most important things and I think when you are a caregiver to someone you kind of you may not know what that person needs but a lot of times they just need to talk and just for you to listen and he was really great at that. Now, did you have some other support groups? I mean, I guess you're still kind of recovering. What is the uh, the markers in, in recovery? I guess five years of no uh, cancer is that's the is that the real marker that everybody wants to do incremental markers. A year obviously is a good marker, but is, is five years kind of the litmus test for okay, the cancer is completely gone, and you know we don't need to worry, or how does that work? Well, I think once you've had cancer, you're always going to have to have extra checks that maybe someone else wouldn't have to have. But when you hit that five-year mark, that is definitely a milestone. But they did, you know, test the tissue and the surrounding tissue when they took it out during my mastectomy. And so the cancer was removed. And I'm not going to have to go through chemotherapy or radiation. Great. But I still go to an oncologist for checks, and they check my blood work and all types of things like that. I, I do have one other surgery just to kind of complete the reconstruction. So I will be doing that toward the end of the year. Okay. Um, December, I think, is what you said. The main surgeries are out of the way, and so we're yeah. thankful for that. I was about to say, you've, pa- you've, you've passed the, the hardest part so far, and this is just one yes. to kind of do the, uh, the, the final buttoning up, uh, no pun intended, right? <laughs> right, right. And I have had such a wonderful support system. My family, my parents have been there. My in-laws have been there and just helping us out as much as they can. And then, of course, friends and coworkers and, of course, the community. Being a public figure and having that platform, having the community support really just touched my heart. Yeah, I'm reading your bio here. Very distinguished uh, journalism career. She was uh, worked at CBS 46 uh, when she was in college as an associate producer. You were a main anchor for Georgia Game Day. And uh, looks like you've received several AP awards, the Associated Press, for... uh, uh, the Esther Award and the WSB Radio Award for Community Service. So this is—it seems like this is kind of uh, in your blood, you know, to be able it to is. do a community service. And you know, it, this is always a tragedy to happen to anybody, but maybe uh, God is trying to to use you as a messenger and, and and help other people as an inspiration. And we truly believe that. We know that God has a purpose in all things, and 
I think that he's just using me as a vessel to, to get that message out and to offer hope to other people. And I hope that my story can inspire others and then also encourage other women to get their screenings and get that diagnosis early. Yeah, because I got to, you know, that's the thing. We need to figure out, you know, what the, the numbers are on this. Obviously, we're, we've been in a, a debate about health insurance and where we're going to go as a nation uh, going forward. And, and you do have to look at, at, the, at a cost-benefit analysis, and that's where I think we should uh, really look at this and say, okay, how much do these genetic tests cost? Let's get the insurance companies out of the way. How much does it actually cost? And see if we could incorporate that in, especially for higher-risk uh, females because, you know, if you can catch something early, the costs are much cheaper over time. You know, a lot of times males that get uh, diagnosed with cancer, unfortunately I've had a couple friends that have, you know, been diagnosed stage 3 or stage 4 uh, Hodgkin's, and, you know, it's it's harder to early detect something like that. A lot of times people don't go to the doctor until they start feeling bad, and by that time it's one of those where, oh, you've, you've got stage 3 or 4, and at that time the, co- the cost, it's covered by insurance, but it's, prohibitive but uh, it would be nice to to look at you know some of these these uh, either earlier mammograms or this genetic marker test to see you know what the you know the the payback is to see how expensive it is it's only five hundred dollars i would think that uh, that would be something that that could or should be covered and be looked at as kind of an investment in in keeping somebody healthy Yes, and the the mammogram, that is what is, that is the gold standard. And I know a lot of women are afraid of a mammogram. They're afraid it's going to hurt or just taking that time out. But the mammogram is what identified the calcifications that ended up being the marker for, for my cancer. And so just always remembering to get that done when you're 40. And if you have a family history earlier, now, I didn't fall in that because, like I said, I'm 35 and I did not have a family history. So typically I wouldn't be getting a mammogram. But this is where that self-check comes in because I had always done my monthly self-breast exam mm-hmm. and I had noticed something strange five years ago, went in, it was completely benign, but that put me on that screening path. So I just always tell women, you know your body mm-hmm. and please take that time out to to get to know your body and know when there are changes and don't hesitate to get it checked out because even if it is benign, that's okay because it could end up saving your life in the future just being on that. Now, is track. a mammogram, is it, is, that, is, is, more of, is it much more than just an x-ray? Is that something that, that is painful and um, is not, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't, frankly, I don't know much about them. I, I thought they were kind of x-rays, but it sounds like it's a little more traumatic than that. Well, it, it does smush the breast is what we typically say. Okay. And so that can be uncomfortable for women. And so they kind of worry about that. And I would just say it's just uncomfortable. Okay. It's not unbearable. Okay. And it's definitely worth it to save your life. And it's a very quick procedure. All right. And, and that's something that, um, you know, I have, again, we I don't know what the cost of these are. If they're, uh, I would guess if it's... Uh, something that women have to do or are supposed to do over 40, I would guess that would be part of a normal female's uh, insurance coverage, and uh, I would imagine it Medicaid. Would. Okay. And if you find something and the doctor's worried about it and they want you to get a mammogram, then your insurance would cover that as well. 
Gotcha. So, uh, again, it's one of these things where the cost of these a lot of times gets inflated because of insurance companies, and we need to figure out a way of, of, of if these procedures really are fairly simple. I would imagine the genetic test is that's got to be the same test for everybody, right? You either pull blood or uh, it's probably a blood test, right, for the genetic marker? You can do a blood test or you can do a saliva test. Okay. And so the test that I actually did, they had me gargle mouthwash, and you had to <laughs> to spit it into a tube. Is that called the, list, the Listerine test? <laughs> yes, uh-huh. <laughs> All yep. right, well, listen, Jessica, I want to get you back for a couple seconds after this uh, final break just to talk about some of the organizations that you've worked with. Obviously, there's a ton of organizations. Um, you know, we, as I mentioned earlier, I'm sure everybody listening to the show has had somebody that's either been a family member or even personally afflicted uh, by cancer. There's so many different kinds of cancer, but uh, to get some ideas of what the best um, organizations are to uh, to volunteer your time or uh, send uh, uh, your contributions to. So we're going to finish up with uh, Jessica Foster on the other side of the break. You are listening to Greg's. This is Dr. George from Peach Street ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peace Tree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you will be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed, and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered, because Peace Tree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's This Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Had a really uh, a very compelling show today. Talked a little bit about transportation at the outset. Uh, we had a, 
a very vigorous uh, debate on a Facebook post I made earlier, which I thought was fairly innocuous, but uh, it was asking, would you ride a high-speed train from Atlanta to Chattanooga? And this would not be, this would be a train that actually goes to and fro, so you wouldn't just be going to Chattanooga and then having to find your own way back. And uh, very interesting. I've had um, a multitude of comments on that topic, and, uh, you know, me personally, I know I would definitely go to Chattanooga. Imagine you could go see two aquariums in one day. How cool would that be uh, speaking of marine life we are on the line uh, on the line right now with Jessica Foster who is a the morning anchor for News Channel 7 down in Panama City Beach Florida and um, we're talking about her story which she was diagnosed with breast cancer in June and uh, Jessica you had been volunteering and, and working with the American Cancer Society for years so what uh, I guess did that give you some sense of um, uh, confidence, I guess, going into your battle that you had met people that had been afflicted with this and that you might have known a little bit more than, than the average person because of your volunteerism? I think that it did help because over my course of volunteering, I have met so many survivors and I've also seen how much research has gone into finding a cure. And I think that that gave me a sense of peace along the way. I actually started volunteering with the American Cancer Society when I was in college, when I was a college student at the University of Georgia. Go dogs. And then with, yes, go dogs. <laughs> and then when I moved to Panama City Beach, became involved with the American Cancer Society here. I have been the event lead for the Relay for Life event and also participated in the Making Strides Against Breast Cancer event, never knowing that one day I would be a survivor. Yeah, it's it's interesting the way fate turns out, and um, mm-hmm. you're too humble to mention this, but you received the American Cancer Society's Hope Award in 2010 for your volunteer work. So you've been working for this cause well before your diagnosis, which is just extremely commendable. Well, thank you. Thank you. I think it's a wonderful organization. I've also been a member of the American Cancer Society's Volunteer Leadership Board here in our area as well, and I love being able to talk about the services that are available. Yeah, and what kind of services? Even utilize that. Yeah, talk about that a little bit that maybe the average person doesn't know that there are some support groups out there or a group like the American Cancer Society that obviously is such a big name, but uh, people may not know they have branches in, um, you know, small town America and coastal town America and, and everywhere. Yes, and the American Cancer Society, one of the things is they fund research. So research to help find a cure. So that's one big thing that they do but they also have other programs so they have a look good feel better program and these are for women that are are going through a a breast cancer diagnosis and they're maybe going through chemotherapy and there's actually a trained makeup artist and she tells you how to do your makeup and they actually get free makeup at this clinic so that's a wonderful option there are support groups through the American Cancer Society. And then they also have a 1-800 number, and it's 1-800-ACS-2345. So that's 1-800-ACS-2345. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can call that number, and someone will pick it up. And any question that you may have, somebody's going to be there to assist you. Even if you just need information, say, hey, I've recently been diagnosed what questions do I need to ask my doctor? Somebody can help guide you through that. And I can imagine this would be useful for family members as well to know how to, yes. to broach the subject. Obviously, you're 
fairly unique and and that you're outgoing and obviously somebody that's used to the public figure but imagine this happening to somebody very introverted who or to a, a family that just doesn't have the the same resources or, or, or ability to be able to, to talk about this because it's a very it's very brave for you to actually be able to go public with this. I mean, a lot of times people want to keep their their medical issues completely private and kind of attack it on their own, but you've chosen a, a different course on this, which is uh, like I said, very courageous and and commendable. But um, that's got to be a, a big um, a big outlet uh, for for family members as well, right? It is, yes. Family members can call that line. Anybody can call that line and, and get information. And also, there may be barriers to get to treatment. So I was fortunate. I, you know, I never had a difficult time getting to any of my doctor's appointments or anything like that. I have reliable transportation. But there are people out there that don't have that luxury. And so getting to their cancer treatments is difficult. And so the American Cancer Society has a road to recovery program where they have volunteer drivers who will take cancer patients to their treatment. Wow, that's great. So there are uh, resources out there that are untapped. Now, there's a lot, so many cancer groups out there. Have you found it that, it, that they all kind of respect one another and want to work together towards a common goal? Um, you know, because obviously, you know, there's so many rare cancers out there that uh, a lot of times they don't get the attention that some of the bigger ones do. So they kind of have their own research wings. Um, have you found in the, the majority of them kind of all get along and respect each other? I have found that, and what I've also found is that there are so many researchers out there trying to find cures and looking at different things for different types of cancers, and so it's wonderful that we have so many organizations that are actually granting um, or giving these grants to the researchers because, you know, that one research, that one piece of research could be what we need for one of the rare cancers or even for breast cancer to find out a little bit more about it. Yeah, well, I live very close to Emory here in Atlanta, and obviously they're a, a leader in, in cancer research, so they uh, certainly are working with a lot of uh, folks. I'm, I know that the uh, in Florida, the University of Florida has a good medical school. I believe Miami does. There's got to be countless other ones. And uh, Does Florida right. State have a medical? You're not too far from Tallahassee. Uh, do they have a good medical? Is that kind of where you went for doctors, or did you were you able to go to the doctors in the Panama City area? You know, I was actually able to go to the doctors here in the Panama City area. We have been so blessed to have just some wonderful physicians here in our area that are just kind of on the leading edge of all the latest technology and research. And so I was really, really blessed. And because I am in the media and I have always been drawn to medical reports, and so I do a lot of medical reporting, and so I knew a lot of these doctors personally. (laughs) Well, that's really neat. Well, listen, I really appreciate you uh, calling in and and talking about your story today. I I think a lot of folks are going to find it inspirational. Um, Do you mind if I give out your email address? Not your personal one, but the one on the website. If people want to know, no, please do. Please right. do. I would it's love to hear from Je- everybody. Jessica.foster at wjhg.com. That's the uh, channel seven down in Panama City. So if you're down in the in the coastal area sometime, I, oh, I wanted to mention this. You are also a meteorologist, which I thought was pretty cool. So instead of just uh, going through the degree program with the with the top five school, Grady College of Mass Communication, I always got to give a shout out there. You went to Mississippi State and got a, a a meteorology degree, which I can imagine comes in handy during a hurricane season down there, huh? It definitely does. <laughs> yes, it does come in handy. And 
uh, my family they like to ask me now what do we need to wear today yeah so what was so, for that too so what was scarier the surgery or flying in one of the hurricane hunter airplanes the c-130 the cj-130s <laughs> Um, the surgery. The surgery was, was okay. The surgery was scarier than flying okay. with the so, hurricane. So, so yeah, what, so that was just exhilarating. Okay. With the hurricane. So basically, if you've had the surgery, you're pretty much up for anything this world can offer. Oh yeah, I can. <laughs> I think I can conquer anything at this point. <laughs> cool. All right, Jessica Foster, WJHG Panama City. Thank you so much for calling in, and uh, we'll have you. the podcast up later so you can share it with your friends. I, I, I know a lot of folks have been following your story down there, and again. And just wanted to, to thank you so much for calling in today. Thank you for having me. And we appreciate you guys listening, of course. Um, I didn't get a whole lot of chance or whole opportunity to talk about our buddy Harvey Weinstein today. I got to uh, preface it a little bit. But uh, this is a story, folks, that has a lot of legs. We're seeing stuff now come out that uh, Matt Damon and a few other Hollywood actors who have been so... Um, I guess bellicose about women's rights that they were trying to kill some of these stories about Harvey Weinstein even as far back as 2004. So I believe we're seeing the real duplicity of these Hollywood liberals that are always trying to tell you what to do and how to think and who to vote for that when it affects their pocketbooks, when it affects their wallets, when it affects their ability to gain roles in Hollywood, they don't care about you. They just care about keeping these stories hushed. And, uh, you know, as I said earlier, I thought I woke up in Bizarro Land today when I saw two negative stories about liberals on CNN this morning. I, I didn't know what the hell was going on, David. I was like, am I at the right place? And sure enough, two in a row. And uh, it switched over to headline news. My uh, gem, as I mentioned, it's in the very liberal area of Decatur, Georgia. So Fox News or anything uh, leaning to the right is uh, blackballed there. But uh, I, 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 as God is my witness, two stories came on in a row, especially the uh, I, I enjoyed both of them. Um, probably shouldn't enjoy them as, as much as I did because they, they're negative stories. But I guess what I enjoyed is ha- seeing the media have to kind of double back and say, oh, my God, we've actually got to cover this story. You know, the outpouring of celebrity remarks on Twitter has been quite funny. Um, a couple of them had said, well, Harvey Weinstein's a real jackass, but so's Trump, you know, but so's Donald Trump. we got to throw that in there, uh, you know, but we're going to, I think, have a lot to glean from this story going forward. Uh, Harvey Weinstein was a big donor to liberal Democrat causes. Um, some of them are given the money back. Some of them have been silent. Uh, I believe Hillary Clinton is still trying to figure out what she should respond with. Um, you know, Harvey Weinstein and Anthony Weiner, I thought since they're right next to each other alphabetically, they'd be right next to each other in a prison cell. What do you think, Dave? Well, uh, Hillary said she just couldn't believe it, that it's just terrible, and that women should stand up and all of this stuff, uh, Well, which I don't agree with. I don't disagree, I think I, and, uh, but uh, it took her a while to come out and choose her words, and um, she's really one to speak about standing up from... Oh, right. Uh, uh, abuse she's and been everything a, else. She's been a you know really a champion of women's rights, being married to to good old Slick Willie for for so long. So again, folks, this this just illustrates the duplicitous nature 
of Hollywood. It shows how biased the media is. And I'm happy the media is actually covering a story that doesn't shine too uh, brightly on it. The New York Times is the one that actually broke this thing. And now we have dozens of women coming forward. And it's something to keep your eyes on in the next few months. Thanks for listening today. We'll have the replay on tonight, 6 p.m. And see you next week on Greg's List. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.